The following podcast is produced or sponsored by a community member. The content, views, and opinions expressed are those of the participants and do not reflect those of BMC or the Town of Belmont. BMC welcomes your comments. Call us at 617-484-2443 or email us at access at belmontmedia.org. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Community Conversations on the BMC Podcast Network. I'm your host, Roger Colton. Well, we've been in school for about four weeks now here in Belmont, and I thought that it would be interesting to have Superintendent John Phelan in to talk with us about the state of the schools in in Belmont uh, at the beginning of the school year. So I have with me today Belmont Superintendent of Schools, John Phelan. Uh, John, thanks for joining us uh, here at Community Conversations, and thanks for taking time to out of your uh, out of your schedule. I can't imagine it's other than busy <laughs> to uh, to come over and chat with us. Roger, thank you very much for having me. Uh, it, it's after October first, and. My uh, impression is that October 1st in the school year, or at least in the administrative part of the school year, has some significance. You, you sort of have been in school long enough to know what the, the school population is. Can you explain mm-hmm. to me what, what the significance of that is? Sure. Um, from, from a day-to-day perspective as a parent and as an educator, and as a person who works in schools, October 1st represents getting the first month underway, making sure that all the details are ironed out from busing to class lists to schedules and everybody's up and running and, and teaching and learning is happening in the very first week of school, but we're really up and, uh, up and running with our academic and educational work. Uh, October 1 from the state reporting system point of view and from the district point of view is when we report our enrollment. October 1st, is the, um, the date by which every uh, school district in the Commonwealth reports their school attendance to the uh, State Department of Education, and then they record that as the number in the mark that re- records our enrollment each year, uh, and that's, that's a window of time that's very important for the enrollment of our schools. So there, there's not a programming, uh, there, there aren't programming decisions, it's an administrative uh, date. That's correct. Yeah. So the you know it's uh, October one's important because we're all up and running and everything's good and the schools are working and, and students are entering school safe and learning and engaged. Uh, but here in Belmont, and, and one of the things that we'll talk about today is enrollment and the increasing enrollment. And October October one or the first week in October is when we take that snapshot snapshot of the enrollment for the Belmont schools, like every other district, and records it with the state. Now, I, I have a whole list of mm-hmm. things uh, I, I want to talk w- with you about if, if we have time. Uh, and we won't have time. So I think the thing to do today is simply to start talking, and when we run out of time, we'll, sure. uh, uh, we'll stop. But one thing I don't want to talk about necessarily about today is the, the Belmont High School uh, mm-hmm. building, because I think that that's such a big topic that we need to put that off for, sure. uh, for a different show. Agreed. Uh, but before we get started, I, I want to ask you uh, a, a somewhat off-the-wall uh, question, and that is, when you go to work in the morning, what do you have on your mind uh, these days? So these days, uh, 
on my commute in, uh, I have on my mind uh, making sure that all of our students are safe and in, in learning and our teachers are in places where they feel supported and, and engaging kids. And, and from a bigger picture, I really uh, am focused right now on space, enrollment, class size, and the things that the district needs to do from a short-term perspective to add space and educators to support class size. And also, what are we doing in the long run? So everything is kind of framed by the high school building project because that's a big, big long-term project that's almost at the stage where we'll be making some decisions. So that, that weighs on me a lot you know, when we make that decision about configuration. Uh, but enrollment, safety, and space, and, cl- and, and high enrollment are the things that, um, that I'm focused on. So enrollment seems to be, the, in, the enrollment in the Belmont School seems to be the, the proverbial elephant in, in the room. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the status of enrollment as of, as of October 1? Yes, Is so we, we just received the, what we will use as the official numbers, and we'll report them out at our August 10th school committee meeting. We'll do a class size in enrollment report to the school committee and the public on TV. Uh, we always do it on the first meeting in October. We received uh, 125 new students to the district, net new to the district. Um, and I say net new because that means that's how much our total population went up by. That does not mean that we haven't had families leave the district for various reasons and a whole lot more families come into the district. If you really compared that number, we're probably at more like 250 or 60 new families to the district. Um, but some people leave and some people come correct. in. And correct. so the net... Right. So when we talk about how many new families do we have, well, we have a whole bunch of new families that we want to welcome, make sure that they feel comfortable, make sure that we're meeting their needs. But from the net number in terms of are we growing as a district, do we need more teachers, do we need more space, is our budget sufficient, uh, the net number of 125 is an important number. That number is um, uh, in line or a little bit above the average that we had predicted. We're averaging, if we look backwards, 101 students per year over the last six years. This 125 number actually is a significant increase uh, of 25 students in one year. Um, And our projected enrollment right now uh, with students K to 12 who are, that would exclude preschool and not involve our out of district students um, is uh, above 4,540 students. If we include our out of district students who are our Belmont students who we serve, we're over a 4,600 school district, which is significant. And my impression, I heard you speak uh, the other night, uh, or the other night, it's a few weeks ago probably, mm-hmm. uh, at a, a high school building uh, committee meeting. Mm-hmm. And my impression is that this influx of students isn't just this year, but it's continuing a Correct. trend, and the trend is expected to continue, to Correct. continue into the future. So we have done enrollment projections with a private company, and we've also done enrollment projections with the Massachusetts School Building Authority. And what they're showing is that the, the projection of new students coming into the district will continue to accelerate. Um, and what I've been saying out loud roughly is that our, our numbers of the average grade size, meaning a third grade or a fourth grade, has usually been about 260 to 280 students, maybe 10 years ago. Uh, our average class size in the Belmont Public Schools right now is more like 350 to 380. That's over 100 students more for every grade. So when you think about kindergarten through 12, that's 1,300 more students that we're looking at because it's 100 more per grade. And so we are projecting uh, maybe 20 years out with these experts 
and showing that the new watermark for our enrollment for a town will be more like 360 on average for every grade level worth of students, where just 10 years ago that was only 260. So that's not that watermark will not go back down. There will be some blips that maybe go to 380 or 400, and there might be a couple of blips that go down between 340 or so, but the average will be about 360. So I, we're trying to really look at the school system and provide a capacity, uh, a functional capacity of good class size and good space and appropriate space that's not only efficient for us and our taxpayers, but also beneficial for how students can be engaged with teachers of around 360 students per grade uh, moving forward for forever for the Belmont schools. So it's not a bubble. I've always thought, not always, but I have at times thought in the past that there was simply a bubble going Mm -hmm. through the Belmont schools that would eventually go through the Chenery and go through the high school. And I'm hearing you say that that's not the case. There's going to be a new norm that will be significantly higher than it is today. That's correct. The, 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 the bubbles or the waves have come in, and they have in the past. If, you, if We went back all the way to 1970. We looked at the data all the way back to learn from history, you know, what Belmont's uh, capacity has been as a town and what the enrollment looks like. In, in the early 70s, it, it was very, very high as well. It did come back down a little bit. So we're only forecasting from experts what we know, but they're predicting that the new, the new line, the new watermark, will be um, about 360 per grade. Now, in my mind, there are two, two points of significance to increasing enrollment. One is teaching capacity. Mm-hmm. I may or may not be right on this, mm-hmm. so uh, don't be bashful about telling me I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is teaching capacity, and the other is simply physical space. Mm-hmm. I, am I missing something there? No, you're absolutely correct. We we are we are benef- we have benefited greatly by the override two years ago. We're in our third year of override funds. Where we have added twenty teaching positions to the district to support class size, um, maintaining appropriate class size. Um, also, we we didn't have enough teachers three years ago to give every child at the middle school or the high school a class seven periods a day. So we have students who have study halls in middle school which are very rare, and, and I, would cons- I would venture to say not productive. Um, and at the high school, we have students who have free periods that we would like to engage both middle school and high school students with meaningful programming, uh, as well as time to study and get their work done. Uh, but we see that that staffing level needs to be higher. It's just a math problem with if you have more students, you need more staff to support them and supervise them. In terms of the space, when you have that many more students, you just need more classrooms. We have uh, a significant amount of high school teachers who share classrooms. They don't have their own classroom. Um, and I asked Mike McAllister just yesterday um, for an example would be physical education classes are now at 33. And there's three classes at a time in a gymnasium that's really only so supposed to support two classrooms of about 25. So now <laughs> that's a numbers, I need more teacher issue, but that's also a space, I need yes. another space issue. So that's kind of the example that would take both of your principles and time into one. Well, and I think I've heard people talk that uh, there is space, and I don't mean to denigrate the public schools, but mm-hmm. there is space that historically was used as storage space that has been mm-hmm. converted into teaching space? Is that yeah, a, th- a myth a, or is that, that true? Th- that is accurate. Two years ago, we did a, uh, an analysis of what the space usage at the high school was several years ago and what we use space for now. 
and we did the same thing at the middle school. So basically, uh, at the middle school, it showed that there was a uh, there was a storage closet that was being used for small instruction or for teachers to get together. There is a a very uh, tight room that we use for OT and PT services for students. Uh, there are spaces and, and for what's that? I'm sorry. Uh, okay. Occupational therapy and okay. physical therapy. I walked the middle school two days ago, and when we have small breakout spaces uh, that most schools would have a place for students to go and outside of their classroom to work in small groups. You know, we have students working in hallways in all of our schools, so we are at a place where we're uh, overutilizing the, the the footprint of school space that we have. And some of the spaces that we're utilizing are traditional school classroom spaces. And it seems to me, I actually wouldn't have thought of the gymnasium, but there are some spaces that simply can't be expanded, like the cafeteria or mm-hmm. the, libra- the libraries. That's correct. What, what do you do? So we, uh, I think that's the great question that was asked at the Burbank. We're putting modules at the Burbank, and the parents and the educators were concerned that the cafeteria might not have enough room to accept that many students and yeah. put that many students through the cafeteria. Uh, we're making do. We're, we're expanding the amount of tables that we have so we can support all students. The, the food service department, as an example, the cafeteria is an amazing group of people. Uh, imagine your job at a middle school is to feed uh, 1,400 students in a two-hour period. Uh, that doesn't happen in a New York City deli on the average day. And uh, so they work really hard at it. The space is, con- is restrictive. We use outside space on the days that it's nice at the middle school, for example. The kids get to eat and then move outside to play a little bit to, uh, to actually relax some of that space. But th- those are the challenges of the fixed space units that we have that even though you add more teachers or you add a class in second grade to relieve class size, we are having fixed spaces that are reaching their maximums, libraries, cafeterias, gymnasiums, et cetera. And in my impression, uh, and again, this may or may not be correct. I, mm-hmm. I have no particular insight into this, but uh, uh, my impression would be that that big classes might affect the, the younger kids more than the high school. Would that be true? You know, there's a lot of research on how class size impacts student achievement, and there's a lot of mixed research on that. So if we were going on a, uh, uh, a search for literature articles, educational literature articles on class size, you'd, you'd see a lot of different thoughts on class size. Um, we benefit by uh, a population of students and families that, that come to school ready to learn. So yes. we could afford to have class size be a little higher if we had to. And we've been doing that for about five or six years now. And um, what we're seeing also that, that is hard to implement is we're seeing a lot of students who come into our schools whose uh, first language is not English. So then that becomes a challenge in a class of 26 that may be a little easier to engage in a class of 23. So all of a sudden your class size starts, starts to feel different uh, because of the population that you're serving. We have students who have IEPs, which are special education learning programs, in 504s, which are a combination plan. So when you start to look at the population of students that our teachers are working with, the range of learners in that room is starting to get a little bigger. So when you have a high class size combined with a, a wider range of students to, to support and, and engage, that's when the real, that's where the rubber meets the road and it gets difficult. Um, so at the high school, what they do as an example is that they'll have classes that your AP classes might be a little higher in class size because those students might be ready to, ad, to advocate for themselves, engage in the material quicker, and, and, and still be 
um, challenged in, uh, with the rigor and be effectively taught. But the students who are on a different level of that subject area who might not be in a AP class, you might want to have that class more around your 22 or yes. 24 class yes. size, which is more traditional. So those are the choices that we're making that are not ideal, but that's, that's the world that we're living in. And one of the uh, aspects of the world that we live in are uh, modular units mm -hmm. that you mentioned. Uh, mm -hmm. I know the schools are coming to, or I think the schools are coming to town meeting in the, the next few weeks mm -hmm. to ask for funding for modulars at the Burbank. That's correct. Uh, the modulars are working out? So the, the There's a question mark there. Yeah, so the <laughs> modulars uh, are in place at the high school. We have five units behind the high school. Uh, we have six units at the middle school, and they're working out very well at those two levels, at those two schools. We had a space task force meet, meet last year to talk about what we're going to do about the elementary. Uh, that group had, a, had to decide how many rooms we would need in what location or what school. Uh, we decided as a group, and I presented to the school committee, that four modular spaces or four modular classrooms and the space was going to be at the, at the Burbank. Uh, I was at the Burbank last week. I spoke to the, to the uh, PTO there. Uh, the Burbank community has been fantastic. They came up with some thoughts of infrastructure that the school needs to support more parents coming in, more students coming in, like parking, like the playground. We're taking playground space, creating better playground space, all infrastructure that's good for the, for the Burbank community. That, that will be part of what we present at town meeting. Uh, I believe it's on November 13th. Um, and the request will be for the infrastructure work and the modular classroom space. Uh, and we're going to be asking the town for that funding. So we will be uh, with modular space at every level of the district starting next September. I'd like to change uh, directions just a mm -hmm. little, although I, I understand that all of this is uh, interrelated and intertwined. But uh, let's talk about budgets uh, mm -hmm. for a bit. And uh, again, I understand that that the enrollment issues and the budgets are uh, mm -hmm. maybe not one and the same, but they are closely interrelated. Mm -hmm. But you referenced the, uh, the 2015 override a, a couple of minutes ago. Mm -hmm. uh, are you guys, you guys, I are the schools uh, doing okay financially today? So uh, it, it, yes and no. Okay. So let me talk about the yes first. The, the yes is, is that uh, I have a, this is my fourth school year. When I arrived in the district, uh, uh, there was a realization that we had a $750,000 gap in what the expenditures were going to be and what the budget was for the year that we were starting, the year that I was in. We had to go back to the Board of Selectmen and the school committee and eventually town meeting to get money to supplement the budget that school year. Um, the department and the whole town not have an, had not had any override uh, revenue generated for, I think, between 10 and 13 years. And, and so we worked really hard to demonstrate on the school level what the needs were of the teachers and the students and the families as it related to the annual operating budget, um, different from a capital budget, which we'll yes. leave off the table for a minute. That override uh, was successful because I think parents in the community realized that the enrollment going up uh, is, is closely linked to how many more teachers we may need and how many more services we need to offer to our families. And we were uh, hugely grateful for 10 positions in year one of that override, five positions in year two, and five positions in year three. Um, we have also done real good work within the district to save money, to uh, create new revenue streams. We did discuss raising fees for certain folks that brought in more money. 
We have engaged in the Medicaid process where we are providing services to students that actually is reimbursable by the federal government. The town wasn't taking advantage of that. We have spent a year and a half investigating that and, and training our staff for that. We are producing our own revenue as a school district for doing stuff that we already do for students and families, which will go right into the town's uh, coffers as well. And so our, our special ed budget, which had been a uh, million dollars short or 750 short when I arrived, we now have a million dollars in our circuit breaker funding to prepare for the years out that we are going to see where the, the override money will disappear in fiscal 19. And we're ready with a, with a savings account to spread that money out over the next three years. So we positioned ourselves over the last couple of years. Yeah. So we're financially very, very solid when it comes to the big picture items of the budget. For now. For now. Where, where I will pause calmer and say, no, we're not in good shape, is that the enrollment has actually escalated at a faster Fast pace right. than the budget has allowed us to provide new staff. And we do have high class sizes at every level of the district, despite adding 20 teachers. Um, and we have been behind so uh, long with purchasing instructional materials and supplies uh, that books were so outdated that, that we've been taking a conservative approach where we don't give the principals all the money that we have at the beginning of the year. We want to let the year go through first and to make sure that any, un, any variable costs are accounted for. And then in May and June, we're turning around and saying, all right, we'll do that book purchase now for next year. We'll do that furniture purchase now. And we're buying assets that will last a long time for the district. So we're really trying to be thoughtful about how we approach the budget. But those funds are not enough to support the amount of students that we have right now in well, the district. Well, and my I keep using that phrase, I guess, but uh, my impression, or I think the impression of many community members is that while some services at the schools aren't further deteriorating, we've lost things mm -hmm. that haven't been replaced mm -hmm. and maybe will not be, well, uh, let's not go there, but uh, we've lost things that haven't been replaced. So correct. books haven't been replaced. Librarians mm. haven't been replaced. That's correct. And so, so we're, that so, is. So we're working hard. There's certain programs that have not been replaced uh, that were reduced before I arrived. And what we're trying to work on are the capital assets. So if, yeah. if, you're, if you're a family and you're saving up and you, you want to uh, be able to spend and plan your money accordingly, we're the same way. We want to buy things that we know will last a long time. Things like book adoptions. We need books. We haven't have new books at the high school in Latin, and we're asking our PTO <laughs> folks to help us buy Latin books. We're asking our PTO partners and the FBE, the Foundation for Belmont Education, who are huge supporters of the schools to help adopt uh, professional development. We've been using a lot of what I would call outsider soft money to support basic functions of the Belmont schools. So we're trying to buy assets with the money we have that will last a long time. And we're trying to partner better uh, with the Foundation for Belmont Education, PTOs, boosters. We have a lot of friend groups out there that are providing support to us. If we didn't have those volunteer groups in the town of Belmont, uh, the school system would be very challenged in its ability to serve its children. I'd like to, in thinking about budgets, I'd like to think for a minute about the uh, um, the folks who have kids who not only go to the, the, the classes, but who participate in out-of-school activities. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you say to the folks that, uh, uh, that would 
come to you or come to me and say, I'm paying taxes, but now I have to pay an activity fee mm-hmm. for my kid to uh, perform in the, the fall play mm-hmm. or uh, play basketball or play mm-hmm. field hockey. I, I, I think that fees are now a, uh, a foundational part of public schools, which I think is a shame because it takes the public out of public schools. Um, we, we charge for the bus, we charge for lunch, we charge for kindergarten, we charge for athletics, we charge for clubs, we charge for music. Um, all those uh, fees uh, in most districts across the Commonwealth of Massachusetts have been adopted over times where financial um, realities have really been hard for, for districts. So uh, I have not raised sports fees since my arrival. I have not raised bus fees since my arrival. We did raise kindergarten fees the first year, and we did raise the lunch fee by a quarter um, per meal uh, because what we needed to do was upgrade the capital assets of the district's food service program so we could actually serve better food. You know, we're now, lo- you know, we're now localizing some of our work with local farms and, and, and local companies to provide better food, but we needed facilities and machines and ovens to cook it and to, and to do well. So, um, so I think that it's uh, very hard to be a public school parent when a lot of the public school piece is really your private money that has to go into your tax bill, but also into a fee. So we're trying to keep them to a minimum, and we haven't raised them in generally uh, the three years or four years that I've been here, and we'd like to keep them as low as possible where we can. Uh, an additional concern that is expressed to me uh, on occasion, uh, more than on occasion, uh, on regular occasion, is... Uh, a concern that uh, squeezed budgets uh, present a particular threat, and I don't know if that's the correct word, mm-hmm. uh, to the to arts education mm-hmm. and to uh, libraries. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you do you have a response to that? I yeah. I, I have a bias because yeah. I think that art and music education mm-hmm. is just critical, mm-hmm. but. So I, I think that that's always the first place where most school systems would look at trying to reduce services if and when they do have a budget crunch. I can tell you uh, four years ago when I was uh, looking around to see if I wanted to be a superintendent and where I wanted to be a superintendent, the two things that attracted me to the Belmont Public Schools was how many students I used to see uh, receiving awards in the Boston Globe Arts um, <laughs> edition every spring. Uh, and the incredible music uh, and visual arts programming that we have here. So uh, we did some visioning work for the new high school, and during those visioning sessions, more people talked about those uh, disciplines uh, having uh, such a huge impact on student learning and student outcomes that were equal to the math and the English and the history. So uh, I'm passionate about those things as well. And uh, when and if we get to the point where we need to make decisions that might be hard for the district to, to reflect on what should go and what needs to stay, uh, those things will be in the forefront of my thinking as well. That's great. John, uh, we're out of time. That's unbelievable. Can, can you believe it? It's, uh, it's been 30 minutes. Uh, uh, we will uh, have to get, get you back because there are any number of things that uh, – I would enjoy speaking with you uh, about, and I think the community would like to uh, to hear about. I, I would love to come back. This is a great forum to get out the good things that are happening in the Belmont schools, uh, the successes that we have, the challenges that we're working through. Uh, but I, I couldn't think of a better place to be uh, a student, a teacher, or a family, or a community member uh, than in Belmont, Mass, and going to the Belmont Public Schools. Well, we've been speaking today with Superintendent of Schools, John Phelan, Superintendent of the Belmont Public Schools. 
we uh, have talked about the budget. We've talked about enrollment. And uh, we w will, in fact, bring uh, John back to talk about uh, some of the curriculum uh, issues and curriculum uh, activities that are going on in the schools today. So thank you again for joining us uh, today, John. Uh, and I would like to thank you, the listeners of Community Conversations, for tuning in. You can access Community Conversations online at belmontmedia.org. Simply uh, stream on demand uh, Community Conversations through the BMC Podcast Network. And you can also access Community Conversations through iTunes by searching for the BMC Podcast Network. You've been listening to Community Conversations. I'm your host, Roger Colton, and I will talk to you again in two weeks. Thank you for listening.